You know, we. Amen. You know, we were uh, doing a Bible memory passage with our kids the last uh, couple weeks now, and uh, probably the most familiar chapter in the Bible. You know how it is, uh, we, uh, we memorize these scriptures, and especially chapters like Psalm 23, and I would venture to say the far majority of us in here have learned that from a very young age, and which is good. But sometimes when we get to when we have it just in our memory, it can separate from our heart and stay in our head. And as I was looking over those verses that I've known pretty much as long as I can remember. The simplicity of it and what God is, who he is, it's all packaged into those six verses. That's really all we need. Caden's excited about it. Is Brandon not in here? I was going to have him run this. Disappeared. (laughs) Okay, well, I guess I'll run it in the meantime. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you never let go. That's the essence of Psalm 23. Let's all stand, if you can, and you'd like to. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your perfect love is casting out fear. And even when I'm caught in the middle of the storms of this life, I won't turn back, I know you are near, and I will fear no Yeah.
after in the last verse, but if we sing it often enough, maybe we'll get there. And uh, the way that God never lets go of us is a lot less complicated than the ending of that song, so don't worry about that. Um, Ty, can you uh, turn on Tiffany's mic? She's got something to share with us today. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me through the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You are Prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflow. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And yes, that was by memory. She was looking down, but she wasn't reading. <laughs> Were you going to say it too, Caden? You aren't? Okay. <laughs> Tried to convince him he has it down extremely well, too, but I guess he thinks he has a little stage fright or something. My worth is not in what I own. If anyone else has anything to share at all through our uh, praise time here, please feel free to share it. Amen. That's that's beautiful. <laughs> no, that's uh, um, you know that's that's something that uh, you know meeting other people that you don't know that love the Lord. You know, so often we're going. Through life, through our day, through our work life, well, I'll speak for myself. It just, it seems you ignore or you can kind of tune out where other people might be spiritually, whether whether good or or bad. And we 
what it, what that does to me when I do that is I, I end up feeling a little bit uh, like Elijah, feeling that, well, I'm the only one. I'm the only one left, essentially. We're the only ones left. Well, a couple of weeks ago, uh, some of us had the privilege of going to the uh, Northern Colorado prayer breakfast, and uh, 700 people there from Northern Colorado that, you know, I don't know where they were all at spiritually, but everyone, people were there to pray and to fellowship and to praise the Lord. And that did, that did something for me to see that, just 700 people from essentially our community that had the same goal, the same vision to get together and, and to pray and to bless the Lord. And that was such an encouragement to me. All right. My worth is not in what I own. Do we actually believe that? Think about that while you're singing the song. I know I can get I can get distracted by what I own, actually more by what I don't own. But uh, is that where we find our worth? My worth is not in what I own.
that transition from that, from death to life because of Jesus. Because this man told his wife, you need to leave because this guy behind me doesn't know how to sing. I'm serious. And it changed my life. You're not going to get any of that from me. I, trust me, brother. I've. Uh, Amen. Well, thank, thank you for sharing that and, and your honesty in that. You know, I've had a fair amount of music training. I don't consider myself to be a great professional, but uh, there's, there's one thing I've, I've tried to tell my choir students over the years is to, uh, I, I don't care so much where your level is, what you can, what you can do, but do your best for God. Sing your best for God. Now that doesn't mean that we can, that we should just be uh, unconcerned and not and not care about what we do or any such thing. But do your best. Do your best for God. That's that's all that matters, you know. And it's something I try to to uh, drill into my children when uh, the younger ones can't do something quite as as good as. The older ones. What do I say, Tiffy? If you can't do something as good as Sherry, what do I tell you? No? I tell her to just do her Tiffy best. <laughs> just do your best. Do the best the, uh, to the ability that God has given you. And that, that goes for singing. That goes for every area of life. Make it joyful. That's what counts. All right. Yep. All right. This is my kids' favorite song, so they want to uh, they want to be heard on this one a little bit. Ty, they're going to help me sing. So give them at least just a little bit of volume uh, on their microphones. Doesn't have to be a lot. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you, I worship you. You are here, working in this place. I worship you, I worship you. 
Amen. Yes, Lord, we come to you and I share that same burden, Lord. Together as your children, you have called us to pray for those, Lord, who are lost without you, without hope, without God in this world. Oh, Father, we especially pray for the seniors, those, Lord, who are living over here in these two buildings beside us. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would brood over this place. Oh, Father, come in mercy, I pray. They are living, Lord, in their last days, many of them, Lord, in their last years. And yet, Lord, they resist the truth. They want nothing to do with God. They try to do it on their own, living for the flesh, living as though eternity wasn't at the door. But, Father, it is. And we know that you love them. You sent your son to die on the cross. You have made a way of salvation. You are a way maker for them. You long to give them eternal life. You long, Lord, to not only take them home to be with you, but you long to give them eternal life here while they still have breath. Would you come in mercy and pour out your Holy Spirit with conviction, with grace and with truth. And I pray for Gloria and the others, Lord, who are living there and those who are living around them. Oh, Father, fill us with your love. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Put a word in our hearts, Lord, words of eternal life. Give us the opportunity to pray with them, to share the gospel, Lord, and you have. And I pray you would continue to give us wisdom from above, to share the words of life. And to point them to Jesus Christ and lead them to the cross. In Jesus' name. Is there anyone else who would like prayer? I just felt moved in my heart this morning. You know, as Brother David shared with us um, a couple weeks ago on the necessity of prayer and the power of prayer. Connecting with God. The God who is our healer. The God who is... Who, who wants to not only heal us physically more, but more importantly, he wants to divinely heal us spiritually and give us eternal life. And I, I think it's so important as we gather together that we come in that spirit of prayer and praying for one another. And Gloria has, I just want to bless you, sister, for your, your diligence in that. And James 5, Sarita, when you were talking about praying for Brad, and the Lord brought these words to my heart all in the last couple of weeks, especially since David shared with us um, in James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, uh, verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Whatever you're suffering from, prayer is our answer. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Right? Doesn't say you have to be on tune. Just says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick?
Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. This is what we did with Brother Duane uh, just, what, a month ago? And the Lord answered that prayer. And, and God, has, God is God. He can answer his prayers however he wants to. He has the right to answer no or yes, maybe later or right now. He's a good dad. And the Lord answered Duane's prayer. And I just want to offer ourselves to you, to anyone who is sick among you, who needs prayer, whether it's spiritual suffering or physical suffering that you're suffering from. Maybe it's just an attack from the enemy. The devil walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he can devour, and he buffets the saints, tries to wear us down. If you need help spiritually, let's pray for each other. Don't be bashful. Don't be shy. We all need prayer. And this word is true. And so if you need prayer, we're here to just pray over you and anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord and God's word. I believe that God is longing for his people to have faith in his word and just come in obedience and trust him. Oh, what would happen to the church of Jesus Christ if every one of us, when we need this, we just, that's the first thing we do before we call 911, before we call a doctor. The first thought is, I'm going to call for the elders and I need prayer. That's my deepest need. Let's do that with each other. Is there anyone who needs prayer? I'm going to give you two names, Bryce and Braden. That's all you need to know. They both just come out of the military, our grandsons. I remember where, when I used to be where they are. They confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, and they believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. So according to the scriptures, they are saved. But they need to be filled with the fruit of the Holy Ghost. Love and joy and peace and long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. So I would just challenge you that in your prayer time, when the Holy Spirit calls upon you, and remember the name, Bryce and Brady, lift their precious lives up to them, that, they would be, that their vocabulary would be changed. The military is a tough place, and it's, it's a very tough place. So is civilian life, brother. Yeah. Would you pray? Would you just go ahead and pray? Would you pray for your needs out can I not use this? And I know what a Christian man came into my life. And he loved me just like I am. Yes. And I was able to tell him things that no other Christian man would listen to me say. So we lift these men and women up to you and help us as older Christians to see them, to remember them, to pray for them, not to.
Amen. I thank you, Father, for the way your spirit is moving in our hearts this morning. In that last song we sang, you're here. You're moving in this place, and that is so evident here this morning, Father. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit and how you speak into our lives. And we praise you for all that you have done and all that you are doing. We thank you that you are the way maker. You're the miracle worker. You do all these things in, in our lives and you want us to reach out to you and hold on to those promises, whether it's for difficulties in our lives, for sicknesses, for friends and relatives that need a transformative touch from you. You ask us to reach out in faith because you are that way maker. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all for, for sharing here. Did you have something yet, Steve? good enough to that. Actually, we don't have our books out here, do, you, do we? Um, I think uh, Saretta's looking it up. We probably know the words well enough to sing one verse. Though the first verse, uh, we probably all know, onward Christian soldiers marching us to war with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the foe, forward into battle, see his banner go. I think we all know the chorus. And, uh, yeah, let's just sing the first verse for that. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war, with the cross of Jesus going on before. Christ, the royal master, leads against the flow. Forward into battle, see his banner go. Onward, Christian soldiers, marching as to war. With the cross of Jesus, going on before. It's far more powerful than any uh, army that man can put together. There have been some powerful ones over the years, and there's superpowers, as we call them today, but they all stand in. They don't even have a comparison to the army of, of Jesus Christ. And, you know, uh, 
in, in the book of Revelation. I mean, there's a lot of uh, prophecy, a lot of picturesque language. Um, I don't pretend to know how it's all going to uh, uh, unfold, but there, there's a picture of the, the final triumph of Christ going against the armies of the world, and he says he slays them with the sword, the word of God that comes out of his mouth. Just his simple words do more than all the crazy weaponry we have today, all the nuclear power, whatever it may be. The word of Christ is so much more powerful than that. All right. Um, John, do you have something for the kids? Why don't we do that now? And, and uh, kids, come on up here uh, for announcements. Actually, I don't really think I have a whole lot other than our uh, uh, meal after the service. You can probably sit down here unless John's going to sing. I'm guessing he was inspired by the fact that he's supposed to make a joyful noise. And so maybe he'll sing for you. I don't know. <laughs> Go ahead, John. Hi, kids. Boy, that was fantastic. Can we try it again? Hi, kids. You going to say something? Hi. There you go. Now everybody can hear you. Don't roll your eyes at me. So, can any of you guys tell me what it means to have Jesus inside of you? I'm going to read a couple verses, okay? 1 John 4, verse 4 says, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Now, there's a story about uh, some people who had Jesus inside of them, and no matter what the world tried to do to them, nothing could touch them. Do you guys want to hear it? Okay. It's in Daniel chapter 3. King Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue, 90 feet high, which is like probably two and a half or three times as tall as this building. So really tall. Okay? He set it up in a plain in the field in the province of Babylon. He then ordered all the important leaders in the province, everybody who was any who was anybody important to the dedication ceremony of the statue. They all came for the dedication, all the important people, and took their places before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. A herald then proclaimed in a loud voice, And everyone, every race, color, and creed, listen! When you hear the band strike up, all the trumpets, trombones, the tubas, baritones, the drums, cymbals, fall to your knees and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Anyone who does not kneel and worship shall be thrown immediately into a roaring, fiery furnace. The band started to play, a huge band equipped with all the musical instruments of Babylon. And every race, color, and creed fell to their knees and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Just then, some Babylonian fortune tellers stepped up and accused the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king! You give strict orders, O king, that when the king, big band started playing, everyone had to fall to their knees and worship the golden statue. And whoever did not go to their knees and worship, they had to be pitched into a roaring, fiery furnace. 
Well, there are some Jews here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have placed in high positions in the province of Babylon. These men are ignoring you, O king. They don't respect your gods. They won't worship the golden statue that you set up. Furious, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought in. When the men were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar asked, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't respect my gods and refuse to worship the gold statue that I have set up? I'm giving you a second chance, but from now on, when the big band strikes up, you must go to your knees and worship the statue I have made. If you don't worship it, you will be pitched into the roaring, fiery furnace. No questions asked. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, Your threat means nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God we serve can rescue us from your roaring furnace and anything else you might cook up, O king. But even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference, O king. We still wouldn't serve your gods or worship the golden statue you set up. Nebuchadnezzar, his face purple with anger, cut off Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace fired up seven times hotter than usual. He ordered some strong men from the army to tie them up, hands and feet, and throw them into the roaring furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bound hand and foot, fully dressed from head to toe, were pitched into the roaring, fiery furnace. Because the king was in such a hurry, the furnace was so hot, Flames from the furnace killed the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to it. While the fire raged around, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Suddenly, King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and said, Didn't we throw three men bound hand and foot into the fire? That's right, O king, they said. But look, he said, I see four men walking around freely in the fire, completely unharmed. And the fourth man looks like the son of God. Nebuchadnezzar went to the door of the roaring furnace and called in, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out of there. And so they came out of the fire. All the important people, the government leaders and king counselors, gathered around to examine them and discovered that the fire hadn't so much as touched the three of them, not a hair singed, not a scorch mark on their clothes, not even the smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and rescued his servants, who trusted in him. They ignored the king's orders and laid their bodies in the line rather than serve or worship any god but their own. You see that? When you have God inside of you and when you do his will, if God wants, nothing can touch you. Okay? You can go back to your seats. Well, I don't know, John, that sounded like a joyful noise to me. <laughs> All right, well, Phil's getting wired up there. Let's uh, pray and ask the Lord to uh, give us his word here this morning. Thank you, Father, for this time we've had here together this morning. And now as we go into your word, I pray that you would continue moving in our hearts through the power of your Holy Spirit just as you have already this morning and that your word would be alive and and real 
in each one of our hearts. I pray for Brother Phil as he brings your word that it would be what you have for us to hear and that ultimately we would not hear him this morning, but that we would hear you. We would hear you through him. So speak to us, Father, and just help us to look into your word and use that as a mirror in our lives to show us how you want us to be more like you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You're going to help me? Sometimes you need a table instead of a pulpit. Tables are typically more interesting, I think. Actually, I might need a short extension cord. Do we have one, honey? This one might work. I'll just put it over here like this. A couple of announcements. Um, some of you brothers have been asking me about our book study if uh, we could do it every other week, twice a month instead of once a month. I'm happy to do that. So um, if enough of you are feeling like that's something you'd want to do, then uh, I, like, I actually really like the idea because it keeps more of a, as we talked, as I shared with a few of you brothers, uh, I heard you saying, keeps more of a consistency there. Once a month, you almost forget what you studied the first time, whereas every other week uh, can be more of a consistent walking through the truth that uh, the Lord is teaching us through that. So um, I think we'll go ahead and, and just do that, and we'll plan for this coming Wednesday evening. We didn't have it last Wednesday, so we'll do it this coming Wednesday night. 6.30 at our house. And for those of you who haven't joined yet, uh, anytime you want to, feel free to just show up. It, it doesn't have to be a consistent thing. I think I have like eight or nine more books, and I can always order more. And you can take the book home and kind of read through it yourself, so it's not like you're going to... You'll miss out on the fellowship, but probably not the truth if you do your homework. So um, it's uh, it, we're studying that book. We're going through the book called... Um, beloved sons and something warriors. I don't remember the title. What is the title? Yeah. The heart of a warrior. To be a, a good warrior, you must be a, a loved son. Also, one more announcement. Uh, next Sunday, we plan to have a baptism. Um, Sister Jenny has desired to be a baptized uh, with a baptism of faith and something which she has never experienced 
before, and the Lord has been leading her to that. So next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll have a baptism. Uh, we'll set up the, the tub out here with freezing ice cold water. <laughs> we want to make it memorable. We, we found out, the boys and I found out, Jenny, that uh, just this past week, that you can actually submerse yourself into really cold water for at least six minutes, and it's a healthy experience for you. So <laughs> if you then go into a hot tub after that, no, we'll, we'll make it uh, more pleasant than that. But uh, I also wanted to say, if there's anyone else who... If you feel the Lord leading you this way, that your baptism, if you've even had a baptism, but if you're born again, and I've found this in ministry, many Christians are in this place where they grew up perhaps in a denomination that taught infant baptism or where they were baptized, but it wasn't a confession of their faith. Their faith towards God wasn't a, a, a real thing, and so they did it perhaps through peer pressure or just simply to please their parents or to please the church. Uh, there are many reasons people get baptized nowadays. And that's been my personal experience as a young boy growing up in a church denomination where it was I was at the age where I was taught, now you need to do it. But it wasn't, as Peter teaches in 1 Peter chapter 3, the answer of a good conscience towards God. Wasn't that for me at all. And many years later, even after I had began to be called into ministry in the church and served as, as a minister in the church, the Lord convicted me. Your baptism was not this. Will you obey me and be rightly baptized? And it was a struggle for me at that point just because for some reason I thought I had a reputation to protect. Isn't that weird? We get all embarrassed about ourselves and about truth God is leading us into, which spiritually... Makes no sense, but it's natural. We have to press through the natural to enter the spiritual. And when we humble ourselves and do that, I tell you, for me personally, the, the witness of Jesus, when Jesus himself was baptized, heaven opened up and the Lord bore witness through the Holy Spirit coming down and descending on him like a form of a dove. And God spoke. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If that wasn't your baptism, where in your soul heaven opens up and you hear your father say those words to you, you can experience it again. You can experience it today. And from that day forward, the Lord has continued to transform my life, but it set me on a very different trajectory. It set me free from caring what people think or might say to pleasing my Heavenly Father and making that the most important thing in my life. So, Lord willing, Jenny will experience that with us next Sunday. And if there are others of you who want to experience that, have never, come share with me. And we as a ministry team will pray with you and, and hear you and share the word with you. And if the Lord is leading you that way, by all means, please do. Father, as we open your word, I pray that your Holy Spirit would continue, Lord, to move freely among us. Take your living word, and I pray that you would write it on our hearts and our minds, just as you promised you would. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope and I pray today
that if this covenant, the new covenant, as the Bible calls it, has not been written on your heart, today the Lord will do it for you. Because Jesus stands with a ready pen, the pen of his spoken word. And his spoken word, as Anthony shared with us, is a word that is fire. It's a flame of fire as John seen it in Revelation. It doesn't only destroy the wicked. It's a flame that writes upon hearts and minds. In Hebrews, he quotes, the Hebrew writer quotes the prophecy of Jeremiah. And he says this in verse 7 of chapter 8. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Wow. Is that where you're at? You have these start and stops, starts and detours with God. There's not a continuation when the Holy Spirit convicts you of a truth in your heart. You think about it. You let the Lord take your hand and you begin to lead you into that truth, just like the Israelites did out of Egypt. They all left Egypt. Not one of them stayed. But they didn't continue. Wait, are you sure they didn't? Did any Israelites pack up and go back to Egypt? Yes or no? They wanted to. But they didn't, did they? No. Did any Israelites decide, I'm going to stay just on this side of the Red Sea. I'm not going any further. This is a nice place to camp. So they did continue with God. God did continue to lead them. But they didn't continue until the end. Where did they stop? Someone tell me. Kadesh Barnea. They came to the point of the promised land. And they, you know the story. They sent out the 12 spies. And 10 of those spies came back. We were like this big. Have you ever seen a grasshopper lately, anybody? You can hold him in your hand. Even you could, Tiffy, right? You could easily hold him in your hand, Benny. That's how small they felt compared to the giants in the land. I was telling the boys uh, last week, somebody asked how old they were, and they were marveling. It's like, wow, you guys are tall for your age. And I said, yeah, you know, in, in, in the Bible, they talked about the sons of the giant. Did you know Goliath had sons and daughters? And David's men killed many of them, but they talked about the sons of the giant. Well, now I'm... I, my sons are the giants. I'm the dad. That's kind of how I think it'll be in five years. I'll be looking up to them. 
but not in the wicked sense. They came to the point that God wanted to lead them into his covenant, the promise. That was the whole point of the journey. This was the destination. They followed him all the way to the destination and all of a sudden the promise didn't look like they thought it would, did it? What had God promised them? A land flowing with? Had he promised them giants? No. The giants were a surprise, weren't they? Did you know that God's covenant has a surprise for you and I in the same way? This covenant has giants in the land. And if you and I are hung up with the milk and honey, we're going to do exactly what they did. We're going to look at the giants of the promise. And we're going to say, what did they say, by the way? What did they say? Why did not God not care for them and destroy them all except two? Out of over a million people, two. What kind of spirit did the others have? What did they say when they seen the giants? Do you remember the story? We can't do this. As for Moses, we're going to kill him. And Joshua and Caleb along with him. And we're going to make ourselves a leader. And where did they say they're going? Back to Egypt. Back to Egypt. We're going home. Back to slavery. Back under Pharaoh. At least he didn't kill us. Well, he did kill some of them. But they would have rather been slaves than face the giants. God's covenant, that was the old covenant. That's what it produced. The new covenant is not like that. For this is the covenant, verse 10, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws, where? In their heart. And I will write them upon there, where? I will put my laws into their minds, and I will write them upon their hearts, and I will be their God. You see what that happens? All of a sudden, God was not Israel's gods. Do you know that Stephen in Acts chapter 7 reveals a truth that Amos spoke of that Israel never acknowledged. Even Moses didn't acknowledge it. As they walked through the wilderness, they carried along their idols. They did. In their tents. While they came in public worship to God, God was not their only God. They feared God because they seen His power in Mount Sinai, the mountains smoking and quaking, and they seen God's acts when He dealt with rebellion uh, when Korah and his sons rebelled and the earth opened up and swallowed them alive and when the serpents came through and bit people and when the disease came through, they feared God, but they didn't worship God. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen says, you're just like your fathers who carried along their gods 
in their tents all the time they traveled through the wilderness. Verse 42, but God turned away and delivered them up to serve the hosts of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, it was not to me that you offered victims and sacrifices 40 years in the wilderness, was it, O house of Israel? I thought it was, but it wasn't. You also took along the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of the god of Rumpha. And the images which you made to worship them, I also will remove you to Babylon. They carried them along with them in their tents. Dear believer in Jesus Christ, you know it's possible for you to have Jesus on your lips. Go to church and sing his praises. Listen to sermons about Jesus Christ. But in your heart, you carry other idols. One that many carry with them is money. Jesus said, you cannot serve God and money. That was the one other God Jesus mentioned. You cannot serve God and mammon. Your heart will be set on one or the other. Your affection will be set on things above or on things on the earth. You can't have it both ways. Your heart will only belong to one. But when God makes this covenant with you, with you and me, he takes it and he writes it on my mind and he writes it on my heart. Captures my heart with his word. And now my affection is set on him more than anything else. And this is lived out in our everyday life. Every day, you either worship God or you worship money. Things on this earth. For instance, have you ever woke, waken up in the morning and you just, you felt so in love with Jesus? How many of you woke up that way? I did. You wake up and you're just, you get the Bible and you have a wonderful sweet time with the Lord and you, you make your coffee and that's helpful and and it's just, it's a good day. You're ready for this day. By noon that day, your money has started to evaporate. Things were breaking. Tires are going flat. Your vehicle won't start. Mechanic bills are starting to come in. And your paycheck isn't. All of a sudden... What happened to that wonderful time you had with Jesus? You're turning into a real grump. Irritated, getting more angry. Who's your God? Who's controlling your tongue now? Who's controlling your thought life? Who's controlling your heart? Money or God? That'll test us. Whether God is... Really, your only God and His Word has more of an effect on your thoughts and the affections of your heart than anything else in this world. I tell our sons all the time a phrase I hope they'll never forget when they ask, Dad, can I have this? Dad, do you think we could do this this week? The one response they will always hear from me, Lord willing, God gives me that grace, is 
don't set your heart on it. Maybe we'll pray about it. Don't set your heart on it. Because whenever you set your heart on something, you can easily be upset if it doesn't happen. And that's why Colossians 3 has such a strong, life-giving word to us. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above, and your life will be hid with Christ in God. Have you ever had this happen to you? The joy I'm going to find it here. Um, the joy of Habakkuk. You ever had the joy of Habakkuk? You know the book in the Bible? The prophet Habakkuk? Are you familiar with him? Are you going to know him when he gets to heaven? Are you? Well, you should. Because if you don't know him on this earth, you're really missing the joy of Habakkuk in your life. This is what the joy that he experienced. Verse 17 of Habakkuk chapter 3. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stalls, I will definitely be depressed. I'm going to start getting angry frustrated and questioned God where are you God what's the matter what's the matter with me maybe I did something wrong to displease you today am I cursed why is this always happening to me is that the way you think or will you find the joy of Habakkuk yet I will exalt in the Lord I will rejoice in the God of my salvation the Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. You know where the high places were? He's talking about a deer who can leap over the mountain rocks on the highest peaks. What do you do with the mountain rocks in your life? Turn around and go back to Egypt? Israel thought surely God hated them. God tricked us. He brought us into this land of flowing with milk and honey. Sure, but he didn't tell us there were giants there who were all going to kill us. The giants will kill you unless your God is more powerful, stronger than they are. Satan will destroy your faith unless your God is Stronger than he is. He will put his fear in your heart. Like a roaring lion. But Daniel had no fear, did he? Did Daniel have any fear of those roaring lions? No, he slept with them. But do you know how roaring they were? Without God, once God's presence was removed from those lions, all of the others with their children and their wives were thrown into the lion's den and they were ripped to pieces before they touched the ground. None of them touched the ground whole-bodied. They were ripped to shreds. That's how 
fierce they were. But Daniel stood there and slept among them. No fear. Why? Only one reason. His God was stronger than the lions. More powerful. Oh, dear brother or sister, it's real. Are you carrying along your idols? Or is this covenant in Hebrews 8, this covenant, and I will write upon their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest of them, from the youngest to the oldest, from the weakest to the strongest. For I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. That's his new covenant with us, dear brother, sister. That's the promise Jesus is willing to give to you and I. Will you come to him? Forsake all. I love this word. I, I've officiated many, many weddings. By God's grace, it was a gift from the Lord as a minister of the gospel. And one of the things I love the most in every marriage ceremony, and it's strange, it's almost weird. Here are two young people leaving their father and their mother and barking out into a whole new life with each other. And they say these words with so much joy and leaving all others, forsaking all others, I will give myself only unto you as long as we both shall live. Have you made that transfer, that covenant, entered that covenant with Jesus? That's the covenant that he makes with us. And that covenant has results, wonderful results, that Daniel experienced and others. And this morning I want to talk a bit about that covenant. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, um, actually in 1 Timothy chapter 1, before I go on, 1 Timothy chapter 1, I was reading through Timothy lately and as, as the Lord has been speaking to us through His Word in the last month or so, the Lord has been really speaking to me about this one thing in my life, that God wants men and women of dignity. Did you know that? He wants us to be men and women, children of dignity. And he says it numerous times throughout the book of Timothy and Titus. But this is the goal of what produces dignity in my life. And you can look up that word and the meaning of that word. You should. I won't give it to you here this morning because I don't want to produce lazy children of God. Sometimes my sons say, Dad, could you know, they're sitting at the table. Hey, I forgot a, a, a fork. Can you get it for me? And I say, no. You have legs. Come get your fork. Now, there are times I'm gracious and I give them forks, but I don't want them to, to grow up thinking everyone's always going to serve them everything they want or need. No. And that's the problem with God's children. We preachers spoon feed you too much. And many, many Christians are not like the Bereans. They don't even look into the Bible. They don't even open their Bible while, while I preach to you. No wonder we Christians are so gullible. We believe almost everything a preacher will tell us because we don't research it, even while they're talking. 
No wonder we preachers are so arrogant because we're given this. We're, we say things without any challenge. Dear believers, challenge me all the time. I need it. I'm a human man just like you, sharing the perfect word of God with you. But I need you to challenge me. I need you to be Bereans, to look into the scriptures like they did with Paul and say, are these things really so? And to come and ask me, Phil, you said this, but where is it? Where did you say that reference was? What about this one? And that's how we sharpen each other. Iron sharpening iron. That's how you save your pastor, your preacher. Not just through prayer. Through being a Berean. The scriptures. But as I was walking through the scriptures of Timothy, verse 5, I felt like the Lord really deeply impressed this in my heart. And I want to share it with you. But the goal of our instruction, God has a goal for your life. Dear believer, if you don't know it, here it is. God is sharing it with you to remind us again this morning. I have a goal for you, and here it is. But the goal of our instruction, or I could rightly say, God is speaking and saying, son, daughter, the goal of my instruction in your life is love from a pure heart. That's the goal of my instruction. And a good conscience. A clear conscience. That word good means free before God. Without condemnation before God. As he describes himself in his word. And a sincere faith. A faith that is real. That comes from the heart. Those three things. Is that your goal in this new covenant with God? What do you think a bride, you ladies, what is your goal when you married your husband? As you stood there and gave your life to him, what was the goal? What's the point? Did you have a point? Be a good helpmate. Very good. Was it not these three? To have real love from a pure heart, undivided heart. My love is set upon you. I want to love you with all my heart. And I have a good conscience. I want to have this relationship with you that where there's nothing between us. There's no lying. There's no deceit. There's no, you know, pretense. It's just clear. We can look each other in the eye and love one another. Sincerely, honestly, there's honesty. And a sincere faith. We're going to trust God for each other. Our relationship is in God. Our faith towards God for each other. When you and I come into this place with the Lord and we realize that this is, this is the goal of every word he wrote down and speaks to us through his Holy Spirit in a life-giving spirit way, that every time the Holy Spirit convicts me of truth, it's for this goal. It's to purify my love, my heart, because love comes from the heart. 
And if your love is only coming from your head, you've got a big problem. Your heart isn't in it. That's what made the Pharisees who they were. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, You bless God with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. And that's exactly what Ezekiel said. And Jeremiah said, and many of the other prophets in regarding to Israel, they spoke about correctly about God. They thought they were pleasing God because of what they said. But their heart had idols in their tents. Their heart was not in it. And that's why the goal of the instruction is to get to our heart. And that's the new covenant. I will write it on their hearts. Because if I get their hearts, their mouth may not be perfect. Their thought life may not be perfect. Their, their working out of it needs some improvement. But I've got their hearts. How many of you married couples? Would you stand up and say your marriage is absolutely as perfect as it will ever get? You have come to the place in your relationship you need no more perfection. You're there. You've arrived. Of course not. None of us, unless we're just stupid and pride, proud and arrogant, would say that. We say, no, we, our love can grow. That's okay. But this one thing I can confess without apology. She has my heart. And she's the only woman in this world who owns my heart. She, I love with my whole heart. There's no other woman in the world who has my heart. She's the only one. I'll confess that. And without apology. Now, is our love going to grow? Yes. Do I love her perfectly? No, there are many ways I can improve. But she has my heart. And that satisfies our love. That's how Jesus... That's what he's looking for. That confession among us. Because Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, verse 14. And by the way, here's the other scripture, the same scripture recorded in Matthew 15, where Jesus said um, earlier, in verse 6, and he said to them, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me. Your worship profits you nothing. Zero. You're wasting your time when you worship him. In vain do they worship me. Teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. He was also saying to them, You nicely set aside the commandment of God to keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, If a man says to his father or his mother, Anything of mine, you might have been helped by is Corbin. That is to say, I've given it to God. My honor? I don't need to honor you as my parents anymore. I give that to God now. Have you done that? 
I remember a day when I did that. And I didn't even know what I was doing. I thought I was pleasing God. Because the Lord had taken me out of the church my parents were in. And had raised me in. And had changed me and delivered me from just a traditional, many traditions of men. And I thought set me free and rightly did. But here's where I went wrong. I thought, well, I can now tell my dad how wrong he is and dishonor him and cut him down and speak over him and lose my respect for him because I've given my heart to God. So I don't need to honor my parents anymore. Comes closer home than we think, huh? That's exactly what Jesus said they were doing. Be careful, believer. God's word never invalidates itself. The Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, will never lead us into a disobedience to God's Word. Never. It's another spirit or it's our flesh that needs to be crucified, tempered. And I remember the day when through the, the difficulty of that relationship, the Lord told me, go back and honor your father and your mother that it may be well with you. I was a married man. I didn't obey them anymore. I didn't obey their wishes, but I needed to honor them. Ephesians chapter 6, where it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Then he continues. That's good for children. But all of us. But honor your father and your mother that it may go well with you and you may live long on the earth. That's never invalidated. It's very important in God's kingdom. And Jesus was addressing this. Why? Because he said this. Thus you invalidating the word of God by your tradition which you have handed down. You do many things such as that. And after he called the multitude to him again. He began to say to them. Listen to me all of you and understand. There is nothing outside the man which going into him can defile him. But the things which proceed out of the man are what defile the man. If any man has ears to hear, listen, hear. And when leaving the multitudes, he entered the house. His disciples questioned him about the parables. And he said to them, are you also lacking in understanding? Do you not understand that whatever goes into the man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not go into his heart but into his stomach, and it's eliminated. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he was saying, that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles the man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, living by your senses, envy, slander, cutting people, pride, and foolishness. These all proceed from within and defile the man. You see why God wants to have our hearts? The goal of the instruction is love from a pure heart. And my illustration was going to be this. Oh, by the way, Lucas, could you put some water in this for me, please? Just about halfway. Yeah, about six. 
Yeah, thank you. Is so often in my own life, and I'm sharing my own testimony with you. It still happens to me at times where the Lord needs to purify my heart. And that's the goal when he gives us instruction is I'm trying to purify your heart because it's from within your heart that a slanderous word may come. If you're wondering why you can't bridle your tongue, it's not your tongue that's the problem. So Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to cut out your tongue. He says, give me your heart. I want to do heart surgery. So when the Lord pours in his Holy Spirit like fresh, clean water into us, we're like a filter. And we're like a filter that has natural dirt inside. That's who we are naturally. I just went outside here and just got some natural dirt. Nothing wrong with dirt. You're made from dirt. There's nothing wrong with dirt. That's where we get all our crops from dirt. Dirt is God's creation, but it's natural. Anybody want to drink water that flows through natural dirt? Let's give it a try. Let's take this nice clean water and let it come through, brew inside of your heart and see what comes forth. Is it good water that you would want to drink? We'll see how it looks here. James says, while that's brewing, let the word of Christ brew in your heart. James chapter 3, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be this way. Does a fountain send out from the same opening both fresh and bitter water? Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives Or a vine produce figs, neither can salt water produce fresh. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, where? In your heart. Do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is, what is it? Earthly. Natural. What's so bad about that? It's just how God made me. I'm outspoken. I say exactly what's on my mind. And I'm not going to apologize for that. It's just how God made me. Really. Earthly. Natural. Take God's living word and put it into your temple, into your mind, and into your heart and see what comes out. If it's earthly and it stays that way, changes color, 
It's not quite like the water I put into it. And if I were to offer you the drink, that's light roast. That's what they call dirt roast. It's quite natural. You should try it. And it's amazing how I, as a Christian, can be okay with that. Because it seems natural. Do you know what the next word is there in James 3? What does natural become? Demonic. Demonic? That which is earthly and natural becomes demonic. Satan dwells there. You see, he dwells where there's earthly and natural. The natural thoughts, wonderful. You know why? Because 1 Corinthians tells us the natural man cannot understand the things of God, their foolishness to him. Is God's wisdom foolishness to you? Unless we allow the Lord through the goal of his instruction to change my heart like he promises, not only to write his new covenant, but to change my heart. In Ezekiel chapter 36, Ezekiel makes this, God through Ezekiel makes this wonderful promise to Israel because Israel had this problem. God didn't have their hearts. And so when God surprises them in his promise, he didn't tell you there were giants there. He didn't tell you they were going to be that big. He didn't tell you it was going to be so overwhelmingly difficult in your flesh that the only way you were going to get through this was by faith to trust in him with all your heart and not lean to your own understanding so the Lord says in Ezekiel chapter 36 moreover verse 26 moreover I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. That's the goal of his instruction. And without that, you will not care about the goal of his instruction. It will condemn you. Or you'll just ignore it. You'll be careless with it. Oh. Okay, Lord. Or maybe it'll just be a goal that you're striving after, you know. My, let me ask you, how well do you think my relationship would be with Katie if I would promise her on my wedding day, or if you as married couples, or those of you who want to be married, you think about this. A married couple stands there, and they promise their life to each other, and sometimes they write their own pretty little vows, which I think are sweet, but what if the lady would have in her vow to her husband, after the husband promises his life and his love to her, she would say, well, the goal of my life is my goal is to give my heart to you. But I'll get there one day, probably. That's just my goal. Yeah. I think I'd drop her hands if I was a husband. 
maybe we should rethink this. How do you think that relationship would work out through the tests of life? Hmm? I don't think it would last. Do you? That's why our relationship with Jesus doesn't continue last. Because it's just our goal. But God wants to come and give us a new heart. He says, that is not, is not good coffee. That, that is so natural. It's all natural. But hey, it's hot water. Would you like some, brother? No, thank you. No, no thank you. Any, any volunteers? Yep, Blake's going to sip it. That's just because he's daring and bold, but it's too hot and it's too dirty. It wouldn't be good for you, Blake. So what, you know what the Lord wants to do? You know what he wants to do. He wants to open it up. Take this dirt out. Yes, Lucas. Yeah, that's exactly how we think about ourselves, isn't it? It's not as bad because God's hot water is flowing through my dirty heart. <laughs> you know what the Lord wants to do? He's going to bring over the trash can. Before you give me your dirty heart, give me your heart. Dump it all out. The old is going to be dumped out. Are you okay with that? If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed into the trash can. Or Paul makes it even more radical. In Philippians chapter 3, he said, That which I have lost for Christ, I count as dung. That means I went to the bathroom and I flushed it down the toilet. He lets the Lord flush it, trash it. And then puts a new filter in there called Christ. But he doesn't leave it empty. He now puts his word in here. That's been specifically designed for this. Lucas, would you go back and get that bag of coffee back there in the in the in the uh, pantry? It says um, uh, no, you can't have any. But this is just an illustration. He doesn't just leave it white and empty. But I'll, I'm just using this as an illustration. He then takes what he has tailor made. God has taken His word. Is purified. It is pure. Psalm 19, David says, Thy words are pure. They're refined words as though in the fire seven times. God's words are pure words because God Himself has refined it with His own love. And when He takes that instruction into a new heart, and you know, the illustration is made. And he pours his fresh water in there again. The Holy Spirit is always likened 
to being poured out as water into our hearts. Now, our words are fit to drink. In fact, they have the rich, strong flavor of the Creator. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart, a good conscience. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil. Thank you. Here, get me some fresh water. Dump this out and get me about six of fresh water. Watch it. It might be hot. Get it by the handle, yeah? By a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart, a new heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from what? A guilty conscience. This is how the Lord removes our guilt. That's what he says. The promise of Hebrews chapter 8. And I will remove their iniquities away from them. I will forgive their sins. The guilty conscience is removed. By Jesus putting in a new heart. And their bodies washed. Our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. All of a sudden, now you begin to see God is faithful. And as you walk down memory lane of your life and you think about what others have done to you or said about you or how others have treated you, The aroma of Jesus Christ fills your heart and mind. Not only does that coffee taste good, it smells like coffee. It fills the whole room. You don't even have to be close to it. You can be out in the kitchen. I smell coffee. Why? Because it's brewing. When the word of Christ comes into our hearts and refines us through the brewing process of the Holy Spirit. We begin to smell like Christ. I ask you, dear believer, when you walk down memory lane, when you go to places in this world, there have been times in the past week I drove past old places where I've lived, you know, 20 years, and, and, I, and I'm, the Lord is beginning to refine this in my heart, and as I, as I drive past this place, a certain memory flashes into my heart, and I, I remember exactly what happened there, or I can go past a coffee shop and remember a conversation I had with a brother there, that, and here's what comes to my heart. You are faithful. Your love is amazing. You have forgiven my iniquities, all of them. You make me perfect. 
You are faithful. What you promised is true. And when you and I come to our Lord this way, bitterness is dumped into the trash can. Unforgiveness is dumped into the trash can. Hurts and offenses are all dumped out of our heart. And the Lord takes it and takes his own special brew his instruction, his word. And he takes the pure of his water and he percolates it into our hearts and out comes the flavor and the richness and the aroma of who he is, his character in me. I'm still a coffee maker, but my heart has changed. And there's no condemnation because that which is within is not slander, cursing, adultery, lust, sensation. The Lord has put a new heart in, a new filter, and his own formula. And now, while I brew, while I meditate, my meditation is his words. His formula that he has filled my heart with. This changes the natural to the supernatural. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul speaks this to the church at Corinth, and it's still a truth for us today. Verse 45. So also, as it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. There's a big difference from just being alive and being a life-giving spirit. Your natural person is alive, but it's not a life-giving spirit. Curses men. Blesses God and curses men. God is good and people are crazy. And we think, yeah, that's kind of true. Is that true for you? God wants to change that. That's natural earthly and demonic. That'll make you act like the devil. It'll make you retaliate every time someone cuts you off or speaks evil against you. You'll rail right back. You'll tell them exactly what you think. Or will you take that thought and obey 2 Corinthians chapter 10? Bring every thought under the obedience of Jesus Christ and then speak. However, the spirit, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. Then the spiritual. The first man is from the earth, earthy. The second man is from heaven. As is the earthy, so also are those who are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those who are heavenly. And just as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heaven. I was just uh, feeling how this coffee on, uh, thinking coffee.
Christ offers forgiveness for everyone, everywhere. So, what did you say? Sorry. I said coffee. Christ offers forgiveness for everyone, everywhere. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, yeah, thank you so much, brother, for sharing that word. It is very encouraging to me and uh, just a challenge for me as well. So, um, I guess if there's no further announcements or anything, uh, why don't we all rise if we can, and um, we'll ask the benediction and the blessing on the new meal. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love. Lord, you are the way maker. Lord, we just thank you for your many blessings, and thank you for your word. And Lord, I just pray that we can apply these things to our hearts and to our everyday life. Lord, we thank you for the natural food that's been prepared for us. We pray you bless the hand that have prepared it. Bless it to our bodies, Lord, and we can receive the nourishment to honor and glorify you. Bless our afternoon together, Lord, and our fellowship. And Lord, we just want to um, give you all the thanks. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.